Trigger warning. In this two-part mini-series, we explore a variety of topics in trauma, such as the death of a child and abuse and several other difficult traumas that might be hard to hear. So if at some point this becomes too hard to listen to, just turn it off and take care of yourself. Welcome to Thanks, It's the Trauma. I'm Dr. Alyssa, and this is a podcast with my friends, Nikki and Heidi. We're connected by a unique and unusual experience, and we talk about it and other traumas with honesty, booze, and cuss words. Season 2, Episode 9, Wounded Healers, Part 2, Owen Morgan. Hey, Owen. Welcome to the Thinks It's the Trauma podcast. Good morning. Well, yeah, thank you so, so much for asking me to come on because it's been a while since I recorded with some of you and it's just such a, yeah, such an honor to be in your presence for yours. Can't wait. Yeah. And I just said good morning, but really Owen's coming all the way across the pond from the UK. And so it's in the afternoon. So happy afternoon to you. <laughs> yeah. Sunday afternoon and it, nothing's changed in the future, but it's pretty much yeah. the same. Yeah. Well, Owen is a podcaster and an author and a friend an acquaintance of trauma. And we are going to just dig in with you today, Owen, on all of the things about your past and then how you've used trauma and your experiences to change the world. So will you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, again, thank you so much. And trauma for me is something I've always been fascinated about. And that's how I connected with the, the great work that you guys are doing. Because as soon as I saw just the title of your show alone was enough for me to be to be hooked in. So uh, I built a, a big community of trauma, you know, survivors around me. It seems to be a big part of my life now. But it's something that I think could be talked about quite lightly in the right circumstances when you feel safe. So that's kind of been a big passion for me. But for me personally, I've had a series of traumas over my lifetime. So it's that com combination of many traumas. And eventually it got to the point where I think it was just one too many and I got very physically ill, which I'm sure we'll dive into. But in that journey of trying to figure out what was going on and why I felt like I did and with depression, anxiety and everything else, people pleasing, all the usual stuff, the more I looked into it and the more YouTube TED talk videos I watched and the more podcasts I listened to, I started to unravel a lot more what it was to be human. I just fell in love with that journey. I wanted to share it with the world. and like you guys are doing is create podcasts and have guests on and get them to share their story. So there's a lot of layers for my story. So I'll probably let you pick bits out and ask me questions because otherwise we'll be here for a couple of hours. But there's, uh, there's some key bits in there. So it depends on what you think would be best to cover. Yeah. Well, we're going to dig into it. Our audience would love just hearing your voice. They want to know how to find you. So can you just share a little bit about some of the things you have out in the world and how we can and find you and engage with you. Yeah, thank you. Well, I've just gone on a transition, as, as you well know. I had Manco Wellbeing that I've been running for about a year, Men's Health Movement, all based around trauma. I have my own trauma show on there. That's still all available on Spotify and, and YouTube, Podbean, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm now transitioning after a couple of months of deep rest, meditation, and various other you know insightful moments to create the awareness space, which is going to be my project going forward, which is just all about human experience and the power of becoming aware of what's going on for us is, is sometimes the first step. 
But with that awareness, it needs to be done safely. And this is sometimes a bit that people get tripped up on. They re-traumatize themselves on the healing journey. So it's really, really important to look at that. So the awareness space is kind of, is the most aligned project I think I've created up to, to date. So I'm really excited. The other ones, there was something about it that wasn't quite right. Was this one after some rest feels really good. So there's a podcast coming in January. I've already got four guests lined up. I'm interviewing with them next week. And I'll be putting out all my old interviews that I've done over the last six or seven years and projects are all going back out with a new audience. So I'm really excited to share their voices too. And you're the first people to call me an author, which is really exciting because I was only confirmed about four days ago. So you are the first people to say the words. That's really exciting for me. I'm in a compilation book with um, a lot of other men just sharing their stories. Um, I've got four or five pages in there. It was my first bit of writing. And I'm very proud of myself. I thought it was, it's really cool. So, What's the uh, name I'm, of the book? The Bounce Back Journey. And it's created by a company called uh, Discover Your Bounce. And they've got a publishing company. And they do these compilation books of lots of different people in one book. It's a really, mm -hmm. really cool idea. And it gives people like me an opportunity to get my foot in the author door too. You know, just dip in there a little bit, see how I get on. I'm 100% going to write my own stuff now, mostly in audiobook form, because that's how I read, listen, or whatever. So I think I'm definitely going to go down that route. But I, com I combine my, my writing with poetry and storytelling. So in between the stories, I do little verses nicely. So yeah, I'm really excited for that. But yeah, people just type in the awareness space, they'll find it. It's there. Awesome. On the so tr specifically trauma awareness. Or uh, just awareness. Of, it'd be all kinds of awareness, but it okay. just so happens that I seem to have become this trauma guy that everyone talks to me about that now. So um, I'll just <laughs> go with it. That's obviously what's happening. Awesome. Well, let's dig in a little bit. If you will take us kind of like on a journey, a storytelling journey of your life, and we would love to hear you weave in your trauma experiences. And then after we learn about like a little bit deeper about like who Owen Morgan is and like what has defined you and led you to this place. We want to get in a little bit further with what's going on now in the past and in the future. So we're just ready to listen and hear a little bit about more about who you are, Owen. Sure. Thank you so much. I've told this story in many different ways. I'm not sure which way I'll do it today, but I tend to bookmark like the little, the little bits straight off the bat. I tell you each little bit and then I'll, I'll dive in. So I started out with trauma at six years old. So that was from childminder abuse. So I was in childminding care quite a lot over in the UK here. My parents worked a lot, which is great because they've instilled work ethic in me, but they weren't very there emotionally for me. They weren't able to hold that space that I needed to be seen, heard, understood, you know, all the usual stuff. So I was in childcare a lot. And unfortunately, I was with the wrong woman at the wrong time. So various things happened to me with that, which was the first part of my journey. And then as I sort of got older, I had no idea. Well, on reflection, I know I had no idea it happened. I blocked out in some, in some way. And then as I went into school life, when we moved from Wales in the UK over to England, I got moved at the age of nine. So I have to set leave all my friends and my school life and everything. And it's, people forget that, the moving bit. People don't see that as a trauma, but it, it bloody is, I can tell you that when you're ripped out of a, a life that, that young. And I always think about a bit of a tangent, but how hard it must be for children from the military mm -hmm. and how they're moved all over the world constantly. That must be rough, not being able mm -hmm. to, to establish roots. So I was moved over there, went into secondary school, which would be your high school. 
and then went through a, a series of just horrendous bullying for three years, just getting beaten up every day after school, basically. So showering, covered in bruises, trying to hide it from my parents, you know. So there's a lot of hiding. I didn't feel like I could talk to them about it, which lends itself to what happened to me when I was a kid and not feeling attached to them. I was very lonely. I had to deal with all my pain alone. So I turned to poetry at 13 and I just used to write about life and my experiences, some of them was very dark. So I wrote like a hundred poems when I was a teenager to deal with my pain, which is actually paying off now in some of these mediums, which is cool. Yeah. So my creativity was sparked, I think, from, from my trauma, which is quite cool. And then when I came out of school, I went into the big bad world, but I was so depressed and <laughs> I was not, you know, I couldn't speak to strangers. I couldn't leave the house very often. My partner kind of had to do everything for me, but I was fairly high functioning. So I could kind of hold down a job pretty much. And my relationship with her was just a complete disaster because I had no idea of how to co-regulate or to trust her or what love is, what affection is, anything like that. Really, really tough. Can I ask you something? Yeah, sure. Go for so it. through, through all of of, of what you went through of the abuse and, and the bullying, which is, I mean, clearly was another form of abuse. Did you talk to anybody or did you hold all of that in? Didn't tell anybody. That's my biggest thing up to this day at 37 is when I, when I meditate and I come right into my body, what, the first thing I notice is this deep, painful loneliness thing. I know what it is. It's that. It's what I've always felt when I go deep in. And I know I'm now going out into the world and trying to collect lots of humans up that I can call family, but it's obviously serving its purpose on some level. But that, that loneliness was, yeah, was pretty brutal. Might be my parents today. They know all about this stuff, of course. But I didn't know at the time that any of this, that, well, the child minder stuff had happened. I had literally no memory of it whatsoever. You know, they talk about this sometimes and people are like, that can't be a thing. It is a thing. I didn't remember... My memory recall was so bad that I couldn't remember my house, my bedroom, but I didn't know I didn't remember up to the age of nine. I don't remember anything, friends. It was really weird until I had some therapy work and hypnotherapy and went, oh yeah. my God, shit, I do not remember anything. And that was when all the abuse came into my memory. And I was like, and then obviously I had to process that mind body at the age of, you know, 28. I had to like heal the inner child, I guess. What was that like for you to experience not having realized or known that you were abused and then realizing that as a grown-up? Well, it's, everything's on reflection. So I'm trying to remember what, because I've been on such a journey, like what did I feel like before I was aware of all of this stuff? But all I remember, I always tell the story and I, I wake up from a, I say wake up, but I come out of trance from hypnotherapy session and I'd just be shaking, you know, like, the, like Pete Levine always talks about and somatic stuff. I was shaking and I was cold and like tears just coming out, you know, just everywhere. And it was, it, I could feel my body was processing on a body level, the trauma that was just stuck inside my body. And my mind then came on board with it and was able to, you know, they were able to sync up. And then the memories kicked in, but it was like a black and white movie for me. Cause I remember the first time, even after like the second session, I started to remember stuff. It was like a black and white movie. It was like, was that my life? Was that me? I, it felt like me, but the dissociation was so strong. It felt like it was someone else's story or I was dreaming or something. It was really weird. 
And that sort of integrated over weeks and months. And then it became a lot more of my, definitely my story. But it was, it's just one of the weird experiences that I've had in my journey. But what that eventually led to because of that body sensation recall is then I just had anxiety. So I went from depression, never had anxiety in my life, to just this insane anxiety. I was fainting, blacking out. I just, I just couldn't control my nervous system whatsoever. It was just all over the shop. So it's from a polyvagal perspective of being in shutdown to fight and flight to safe and social. I think I jumped from shutdown, came online, got stuck in fight and flight for about three, four years before I eventually then got to that safe and social place inside my body that I could be with. You know, I could actually be with my body for the first time without being uncomfortable. And so you're saying it's possible, Owen, for all of our listeners, you're saying it's possible to get there because many of us, myself included, are stuck in fight or flight, hoping for that, you know, enlightenment that we can push through it, push through that ceiling and get to that safe place again. So we are so excited to hear about how you did that, but I want to like go back and I want to pick up. So it didn't work out with this relationship <laughs> that you were in. So you're now in your late twenties. No, late thirties now. Now we're in our late thirties. Okay, we're in our. Oh, late... then yeah, now, yes. now I am. But yeah, late twenties is when the okay. healing be- kind of fully began. Fully yeah. began. When did the relationship end? So this it all coincided at the same time. Okay. So it wasn't until the end of that relationship that I was like what is wrong with me? So I went through the, because in in polyvagal circles, they call it stuck, not broken. None of us are broken. We're just stuck. Mm. We're stuck in fight and flight. We're stuck in trauma response. We're not broken. There's nothing wrong with us. It's natural. It's the primal part of being human. People need to remember that is that it's not, they're not their symptoms. So that, that took a little bit time to get used to. I went through the, what the hell is wrong with me and all that stuff. I owe her a lot because if she didn't end it, I probably would have done something very bad to myself. So I owe her a lot to be here today. So thank, thank you, Tina, once again, for what you did. Because by ending that and sent me into the big bad world, that's when I started doing hypnotherapy. And that's when this all kicked in. So, Oh, and I have a question about that then. Like you said, this relationship ending was that catalyst that sent you into therapy. But like, did you make the decision to go to therapy? Did someone suggest you go to therapy? Like, especially for, I know you do a lot of talking about trauma and men and men's health. And there seems to be a resistance more with men than with women in engaging in therapy. And so I was just wondering what that specifically looked like for you, like hitting rock bottom, knowing you have all this trauma and then making a decision to get curious about how to change your life. Well, interestingly enough, me and my partner now talk about this a lot. We call it the spark. I know that you three definitely have that. So there's this little flame. There's this like little bit of you. So no matter how bad stuff got or how shit you felt, there was this little bit, like a 1% of you that knew that you wanted more or maybe there is an answer. I think a lot of people don't have that and they go in a complete spiral in the other direction. I think that little spark, I always had it. And I, I think you saw that when I was a teenager, you know? that spark led me to write the poetry because I could have gone down a really dark place, but that poetry pulled me out. So that little spark was always there. So even though I was so bad, she had to end it, that spark was enough for me to go out into the world and be curious. As soon as you become curious of what you're experiencing, 
I think that can lead you on that path. But once I started, like literally from the moment we ended it, and then the next day I moved out, moved in with my dad and all that kind of stuff, that spark made me go on YouTube and look in like, what is depression? What, I didn't know any of this stuff. What's anxiety? And once I started watching these videos, I was like, oh, this is interesting. I think that was the willingness to learn was it. That was the thing that pulled me out. And a lot of people don't want to learn about it because they know it's uncomfortable. They don't want to learn about their pain because they have to be with it. So I don't know if I've answered your question very well, but the, no. the, the, the spark and the willingness to learn for me was the was how it looked, especially at the beginning. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense to me. And you actually remind me a lot of Jay Shetty, who I believe is in the United Kingdom, also our UK resident. You just telling your story seems just resonates a lot with the message from Jay Shetty also and his new book. I think it's Think Like a Monk. Think so, Like a Monk, yeah. Mm-hmm. To be in, well, to be in that that environment alongside him, I mean, that's, that's quite the compliment. Yeah. I listen to his podcast constantly. I'm obsessed. So any other major traumas after that moment? This is where it gets really interesting. <laughs> so I came, I came out of that. But when I started to watch these YouTube videos and all this kind of stuff, that's when I really got invested in fitness and became a, a big runner and was doing half marathons every other weekend. And I then became a personal trainer. People are like, oh my God, you know, you, know, you obviously love fitness. So I, I've always been heavily influenced by other people's decisions for me boundaries issues there. <laughs> so they pushed me into that, became a personal trainer. And then the more I got into that, then I started learning about the mind in, in fitness. And then I got into massage. So I kind of slowly through my healing journey through therapy. So I had CBT, NLP, counseling. So I tried a bit of everything. It wasn't until mindfulness came along and somatic approaches that everything really started to change. So I'm just putting that out there right now. I think talking therapies are, are, are immense but you do need the body on board at some point. And some therapies can be very heavily top down. As soon as I brought the body on board, that's when things really started to change and transform. And then I got very, very into it. But while all that was happening, my anxiety was here and there, but it got to the point where I was starting to have gut problems and you know IBS and, and I was really struggling. I was like, oh my God, have I got a gluten problem? Is it this? Is it that? Is it sugar intolerance? I went on this big journey of figuring that out with nutritionists. And none of them could quite figure it out. They're like, oh, we can't really figure, it doesn't seem to be anything wrong. And then it was, you know, when I was, uh, when I was 37, so I was 31, 32, is just one morning I woke up and this was like the finale trauma for me. It was horrific. So I just woke up one morning, like I was being stabbed in the stomach every 30 seconds, just stab, stab, stab. I thought, well, this isn't right, obviously. <laughs> and I was sweating, like, but cold sweat. It was really weird. I was just vomiting everywhere. And I was like, okay, right. And then I was a full on proper bloke. So I was like, nah, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's cool. It's all good. It will go away in a minute. <laughs> and I'm, you know, on the floor in a fetal position in the bathroom. My, my housemate was like, yeah, this is, this is not normal. <laughs> so I went to hospital. They did test. Couldn't find anything because it was my intestines. It was it was tissue that wouldn't come up on an X-ray. It would need to be um, a CT scan, really. But anyway, the hospital didn't know what was happening, so they sent me home thinking it was some kind of hardcore IBS. Gave me painkillers and stuff, no. which was an error an error on their part. And then it was the worst six days of my life. I've never experienced anything like it. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. I was just screaming in pain. And my poor dad, as I was living with him at the time, he didn't know what to do with himself. And I know there's still trauma in my body from that. You know, I talk about, I can feel my body coming online right now. I 
got some processing to do still. But it was so painful. And it, what had happened, what had turned out to happen is part of my intestines had been uh, dragged into another part. So it periscoped in. So it wasn't a tangled bowel or anything. It was just full on drag through. So interception. Yeah, interception. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, it's fairly rare for, you know, mm-hmm. man and his Happens a lot in babies. Yeah, it happens in babies yeah, yeah. a little more that's, often. That's what they told me. I was on Google constantly. Even though I was in pain, I was Googling away, trying to figure out what, like, diagnose myself. I lost about two stone in six days where my body started to eat itself to stay alive, which I thought was, isn't amazing. How cool is the body that it would eat itself? It's amazing just uh, to keep going. And when I went back into hospital, they did blood tests and they like, basically, holy shit, we need to get you to surgery. You know, my liver and, and kidneys were just, just a mess. They just weren't functioning properly. My white blood cell count was really low. And the whole thing was so traumatic. I thought I was going to die. And the opening of this story in this book is me going down the hospital corridor and I was going to say goodbye to my dad. I well up every time I say it because I literally thought I was going to die and that was it for me. So I said goodbye basically to the world, went into surgery and never thought I'd wake up again. Obviously I did. And that changed the game for me. I was like, right, what the hell? And in that four, five to six days in hospital where I was a bit of a celebrity on the, uh, the gut ward because I was so young. It was just loads of old people everywhere. And then me, they were like, what are you doing here? And then like all the student nurses would be coming up, doing their degrees and talk to me about my story. It was really weird. But that's when one of the doctors said to me, and it blew my mind. And Dr. Esther, I'm not sure you might appreciate what they said, but they were like, you know, have you had a lot of anxiety in your life? I said, yeah, a couple of years of, of anxiety now, we're pretty bad. And they're like, okay, that's interesting. We're thinking perhaps because you were in a state of anxiety so much and fight and flight so much, we know the intestines and the digestion doesn't work as efficiently when you're in fight and flight. So over time, I could have been not digesting food properly and it built up and it built up and it built up and eventually dragged part of my intestines through because the food wasn't getting broken down properly. So it kind of shows that this, what we're going to say is mental health, but that fight and flight can have this physical impact on organs and then how that can unravel and create some really dangerous diseases, I'm sure, as well as, you know, things like mine. And the doctor saying that was just so awesome, to, especially in the UK, to have one of our mainstream doctors appreciate the mind-body connection. I was like, I'm so excited that they've said that. So proud of them for being open to that. And I've just spread the word about that ever since. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Oh, and we just interviewed Danny Williamson, who's a naturopath in Tennessee that Nikki used to work with on episode six on the podcast. And so if anyone was jumping ahead, any of our listeners, you can go back to episode six and we really dig in to the gut brain connection as associated with trauma. And so this episode is an extension, really, a deeper dive into that conversation that we had. So we're going to move forward a little bit deeper on the physical health stuff. And I know Alyssa's got some great questions for you. Well, now that you know almost everything about us, let's hang out on social. On Insta, you can find us on Thanks It's the Trauma podcast. Everywhere else, including our website, just Thanks It's the Trauma. And if you have any questions or want to email us, we would love to get back to you. Thanks It's the Trauma podcast at gmail.com.
Oh, and you have spent a lot of time before right now, you've spent a lot of time talking about trauma and educating yourself about what's happening when we experience trauma and in trauma recovery and trauma healing. So I just want to know what are some of the things that you would want our listeners to know about trauma? Like if you could only tell somebody just a few things about trauma or, or trauma recovery, what are some of the things that you would want them to know? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, with my My Trauma, Your Trauma podcast that I did, I interviewed 40 people on their trauma journey. So, I mean, that was one hell of a learning experience, hearing all the different stories and seeing the parallels that everybody went through with that. But it's the biggest thing for me with with trauma is it's a sense of overwhelm, right? So when it happens, it's an overwhelm of the system and we just can't cope with that and it can create ongoing issues going forward. So knowing that it's an overwhelmed situation, it's, there's a lot of, you know, in the quick fix society that we have with well-being, it's, it's remembering, unfortunately, as much as it sucks, it just takes a while. And you do not want to overwhelm your system by recalling. So people talk a lot about doing a body scan and see what you notice and say you may notice some discomfort, sit with that for a bit and explore it. It's like, well, that's fine, but you've got to be really careful here that if you're in a room by yourself, and I just noticed some abuse that had happened to me, I probably don't want to be hanging around there without some guidance and someone there to help. So I'm not saying that we need to all go to the doctors and, and, and get tablets and stuff. I'm just talking about if you're aware that something's not quite right and you're keen to know more, do your research, watch some TED Talks, You know, just dip your toe in, learn a little bit more about how the brain works. I have to say, as soon as I learn about how things work, and I encourage you to do that, learn more about what it is to be human and how you know different parts of your brain, what happens when they're traumatized or what happens when you're in fight and flight, what does your body do, what are the sensations you feel. Get a real sense of how it is that the human body functions is a good place to start. And then seeing if you could, I know, go to a workshop or go to a introduction to meditation group thing if you feel comfortable. It's just trying to dip your toes into things in, in, in the safest way possible. If there's anything that I learned about trauma is, is the safety aspect. So it's, you weren't safe in the moment that trauma took place. So how can you bring safety online? So from a polyvagal perspective, getting to that safe and social place is not easy for someone with trauma. And it's very complicated. It's quite layered, but it's really important to deal with the fight and flight issue, but also start to integrate safe and social. So it doesn't need to be just dealing with all of the pain. It's also about how can I bring more joy so they can pendulate together back and forth. Really, really important. For me, that's it. I think curiosity is probably what ties all that together, doesn't it, quite well. It's just starting to become curious, maybe from outside in, being a witness of your own experience, really. So definitely that one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I hear curiosity. I also hear like self-compassion and gentleness with self in that too, like with that safety, what you're talking about of like, make sure that you're safe. Like that's a really caring thing to do for yourself instead. of And, and even like, Hey, this is going to take time, you know, rather than like, all right, forge through, do the hard thing. I love the the gentleness that you're also expressing in that. Yeah, definitely. I think the naturalness of these experiences is really important to remember too, is like the way you respond in that moment to whatever the trauma was, was completely natural. The body's wired to do that. Your body's there to protect you. Your mind's there to protect you. It, we are survival-based beings, you know, it's meant to happen that way. So don't have any shame around that. 
I know some people I interviewed, women that have been sexually abused, they start to take on this, this thing of, I should have fought back. I should have pushed them away. I should have done this. I should have. That's quite a toxic road to go down because it's so laid with shame that we want to move away from that. I always hear the story about someone where there's someone on top of them. And obviously the man was bigger and was stronger, but it's not even so much about that because your nervous system would shut down. If you're, a, if you're being attacked, you tend to shut down. If you can't fight back, you can't punch them away and you can't run away. The only thing you have left is to shut down. So your whole body, you freeze. How can you blame yourself when your body makes you paralyzed? You don't yeah. have control over the being paralyzed. So just yeah. remember that your body actually was protecting you and paralyzed so you wouldn't feel the pain as much. That's so cool. That's so cool that your body would be there for you. They've got you, you know, it's got your back. It's gonna, it's gonna, you know, stop you feeling as much of this pain. And relieving yourself of that burden and that blame is huge. We talk about that a lot on all the shows that I've done. I've heard it come up on your shows quite a lot too, is just remembering that, that I said earlier on, we're not, we're not our experience. We're not our symptoms. We're not, we can be a separate being to that in the sense of, you know, they talk about finding the space. So the space between thoughts or the space between sensations, there is a real stillness there. It takes a lot of daily practice, a lot of meditation and, and other forms of meditation task stuff to find that space. But when you get it, and I have found it a few times, it's beautiful. It's mm -hmm. this real quiet stillness where you feel connected to everything, I guess, in the cheesiest mm -hmm. way possible. Mm -hmm. You are nature or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of that. This is why I've gone for the name of my thing being the awareness space, because curiosity and awareness together, then it, and it's kind of party time, really, in a, in a healing sense, I think. Mm, yeah. I love what you said. And I talk about this with my clients too, is like, our brains and our bodies are just so smart that they did the absolute right thing in the moment. It made a, a half split second decision about, can I fight this person off or not? And that's not even a conscious thought process. It, it's just a, it's instinctual. It's a reaction and, and that it's so smart to dissociate and to shut down. Like there's protective mechanisms in that that are just so amazing. And you're kind of, You've touched into it some, but I, I also want to know what are some of the ways that you personally have tried to get healthy? I hear about therapy, but what are some of the ways now that you try to keep healthy and stay healthy? For me, as you well know, because it's what happened with Manco Wellbeing, I said boundaries already. I'm going to say it again. I call it boundary gate because it's always trips me up. It's just making sure that I'm aware of that because the biggest trauma response for me was people pleasing which is totally normal and happens a lot in most cases that we go out into the world and we're trying to gain the acceptance to that we didn't potentially get, especially with our attachment problems when we were kids, which I clearly had. So it created this boundary issue. And I think you talked about it earlier about self-compassion and loving kindness and all that kind of thing. If you can start to bring some of that on board, it's really hard though, when you have self-loathing on board and a bit of shame about various stuff. Oh, it's hard to have love and kindness and compassion for yourself. It takes some practice. It's seeing the signs. It's knowing yourself well enough to know when these things start to kick in and knowing when is the right time to put yourself first. But again, it's not easy. It's easy to say that. It's like this big mantra thing, but it's, it's, not, it's not that simple. But it's for me, other than the physical stuff, being a PT and stuff, I know all about 
the nutrition and fit, exercise bit that's in the bag. And yeah, of course it helps. We know about all the benefits of exercise, I'm sure, on all levels. And movement, actually, people forget about the movement being the most important part of all of that, not even the exercise so much. It's just getting your body, being in your body, the movement within your body. And I know you like to do lots of hiking and all that kind of stuff, get out in nature. It's the best way to get into your body is not to just sit there and start meditating and looking for your suffering. It's getting outside and connecting to your body through movement. And then you're going to be more ready to do that meditation later down the line and be more embodied. But the best way to get embodied is to start moving around, really. So it's that movement side and then the awareness and the meditation. I know not everybody can do it, but that, that's been the biggest part of my journey. So I'm not going to pretend like it's not because it is. For me, it's all body scanning. I'm always aware of what's going on. So if I start to notice someone else's nervous system is triggering mine, I'm on it. I'm, I, I go, okay, that's interesting. It's interesting that they're, they're triggering me. Okay, that's cool. I have really positive dialogue. Oh, that's interesting that they've triggered me. I wonder why that is. But not then going into crazy amounts of narrative, which is what we tend to do. Start thinking, oh, maybe, it's, maybe I said something or maybe there's something wrong with them. Just go, no, no, they triggered me. So that's interesting. Um, maybe I should look into that in a very gentle way. And that changed the game for me because then people weren't affecting me so much because I was able just to see two human beings having a nervous system dance. I like to think about it. It's two nervous systems dancing away. And they tend that nervous system tends to come online and pick up this stuff before you cognitively have a chance to, to figure it out. You don't figure that out first. That comes afterwards. Split second. But that neuroception that we have with other people is so... It's just awesome, really. And it, it's a very protective tool to keep us in the right environments with the right people. So, Owen, you've mentioned a few times polyvagal. I don't even know what that is. So can you tell me in the audience what that is? Don't get me going polyvagal. I'll be honest. <laughs> Honestly, like I glow and just get so excited about polyvagal because it literally was like it changed my life when it came along. And there is big ties with, there is a mindfulness element to polyvagal too, which I really like. My partner's a mindfulness teacher. So she was a big influence on me with that. And we're bringing up my stepson is full. We, we're bringing him up in a mindful awareness way. And it's just blowing my mind how wise and aware this four-year-old is because of the way we taught him stuff. So cool. Polyvagal for me is just such an awesome way to explain human experience to people who don't know much yet. So those people who haven't even had a chance to learn about anything, I think it's the easiest way to understand human experience if you're just starting. That's why I love it. It's very digestible. So it was created by Stephen Porges. I can't believe how long it's been around and no one's picked up on it yet. It's funny how those things happen, don't they? It takes ages for people to notice it. But he's good friends with Pete Levine from Somatic Experiencing, so there's a big tie in there. And then Deb Dana is the one that took Stephen Porges' idea and put it into the therapy sector to allow therapists to use a polyvagal-informed approach to their work. So it's all to do with the vagus nerve, vagal tone from, it's a nerve that comes from body to mind, body to brain rather, comes, goes up and down. So there's, there's different pathways for it. It's kind of the primal response really to everything that's going on around us. So from a polyvagal perspective, there's states that you tend to generally be in. So you're either in a shutdown state which would be seen as depression or being shut down, closed off. You've got fight and flight, which we all know about, which is fight back, run away. And then you've got safe and social, which is when we tend to be super duper content. We're in a safe environment with safe people and we feel seen, heard and understood, right? That's the dream. We all want to be safe and social. Even sounds awesome, doesn't it? Sounds really a cool place to be. 
So they're like the states our nervous system, our vagus nerve is feeding information. So some of this is parasympathetic. So you're not aware, a lot of people are not aware of it. There is some sympathetic, so you can encourage it through behavior or maybe certain thought patterns. But generally, it's something that comes online before cognitive stuff kicks in. It's a split, split couple of second thing. But there's ways that you can mix states. So the best way to, ex- to explain that is that if you're playing tennis, for example, and you're playing you're safe that day and it's a hot day, hot summer's day and you're with your bestie and you're playing tennis, you're having a great time. It's nice and competitive. You've got a bit of both, right? You've got a bit of fight and flight because you need the fight and flight to, to move at pace and to have a competitive edge, but also you have the safe and social because it's with your bestie and it's a gorgeous day outside. So that's where you mix states. So you have some two states together. So it's not that we're only ever in one. It can, they can blend together. But what this allows people to understand is they can check in with themselves and say, what state do I feel in right now? So right now, I love you guys. I think you're awesome. So I'm feeling really bonded and connected with you guys. So I'm feeling happy and fairly content. But I'm a little bit edgy because, you know, I'm, what if I say the wrong thing? So there's some fight and flight too. And I'm sure if I said something terrible or one of you was really horrible to me, I'd go into shutdown straight away. <laughs> I'd want to run away from the screen. Our behaviors follow on from these states that we're in. So the way we behave, the way we think is affected by these states. So if I'm depressed, the likelihood is that my thoughts are going to be of a negative nature. Obviously, my thoughts may be frantic and a little bit, a little bit edgy if I'm fight and flight. And my thoughts will probably be very positive and very helpful if I'm safe and social. So you can see how these things do have a huge impact on the way we live our lives. So that's kind of like the premise of that. And, and, and the vagus nerve is a big part of all of that. But there's other elements to it that people would find really interesting if they look into it. So there's neuroception, which I talked about earlier on. So your nervous system picks up on things outside of us, other people's nervous systems. So when you say there's something not quite right about that person, that's the, probably your neuroception's kicking in. There's something about the nervous system. Maybe they're a bit twitchy. Maybe they can't look you in the eye. It's very hard to look people in the eye when you're fight and flight or shut down. You, you can't retain that gaze. We're safe and social. It's obviously very easy to do that. So once I learned about this, I was able to go into the world and pick up on everybody else's nervous systems. And it was awesome. I was like, oh, what's going on over there? Look at them. And then it becomes a very curious venture. But also what makes me so sad about the school systems is that if the child's in fight and flight or shutdown, their cognitive cognitive ability is going to be reduced because their body thinks it's in danger somehow because they're scared of being beaten up after school like me. So no wonder I struggled to learn when I was a kid because I was in bloody fight and flight most of the time. And it's very hard to learn to be creative, to give affection or care to others when you're in those states. So it's, it changed the game for me because I think that's the kind of language which most people can kind of get on board with. I just think it's amazing. And I just want everybody in the world to know about it. And I just want Stephen Porges to do every podcast that exists and just get out there and spread the message. So there is more to it, but I'll, I'll leave it there just for the, the sake of the length of this show. Thank you. Tell us what Awareness 5 is. It sounds like a cool band. Yeah. When, <laughs> I, I wanted to, I had so many other names for it. And I keep looking it up. I was like, they've taken it. They've taken it. Why do people take all the goods? So I had to, to give it a name that didn't quite roll off the tongue, but you know, what can you do? So yeah, the Awareness 5, this is the first time I've ever talked about this. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, for this. Very exciting. So this is what I'm going to be pushing as part of the awareness space. Obviously, I'll have my podcast and my audiobooks, but I want to try and guest on as many podcasts as I can just to spread the message. But this Awareness 5, I'm hoping will be the hook for that to, to get me to get me more gigs, I guess. 
But the awareness five is five techniques that I've used basically since I was 27 onwards to get me to where I am today. So it's kind of ties in everything we said. So I've taken each letter of the word aware and then attached it to something because people like that sort of stuff, right? It's an easy way to remember stuff. I just give you the paragraph for each one. And if you want to ask me anything, then you can. But like I said, it's my first time. So I don't want to slip up on my first attempt. The Awareness Five is an awareness practice to facilitate improved well-being that really helped me. So five techniques that I use to support transformation in how I live in the moment and how I am in the world around me. I am reading this, guys. I just, I'm not that awesome. A practice of self-awareness, self-resilience, and self-empowerment. So these are my five. So A stands for actual. So what is really going on here? So stepping away from my instinctive narrative and default thinking patterns that we tend to adopt. Can I be open to a deeper source of this experience and take the time before I form a belief around it? So whenever you're about to react to something, can I take the time to just see what's actually going on here? So before I snap at this person and completely mess up this potential friendship, can I just see what's going on? They've triggered me. I wonder why they triggered me. Because partly sometimes you might have misread the situation. So I think stepping away from our instinctive narrative is huge. And we do tend to have default. I, I literally watched a TED talk today about a default part of our brain. There's a pattern that we get stuck in, a default way of thinking. And you can change that over time in the sense of neuroplasticity and stuff. Reshape your brain. So it's in there. W is words. So thoughts aren't fact. It was one of the first things I learned, which I loved. Thoughts are definitely not fact. And they're just unfiltered feedback. So half time or most time, you can't even control your thoughts. They just come in. You're like, what, what's this thought up to? It's interesting. Why does that keep coming back all the time? It doesn't mean anything. It's just energy, really. It just flows through. And then we attach to it if we want to. So thoughts aren't facts, just unfiltered feedback. A story following a body state. Can I see beyond my words and not get caught up in them? Can I see how my words also feed body sensations? Can I see how my beliefs are created by repeating the thoughts? So the more we think about this thing, the more it can then become a belief pattern. And that's when we get into some, some dodgy waters, when we start believing our own thoughts. It forms who we are. A is anatomy. So what is going on with your body right now? So check in with my body sensations in any given moment. Do I feel uncomfortable around this person? Can I notice my neuroception around this environment or this person? How does my nervous system dance with another, which I really, really like? R is reactive. Can I become aware of my triggers and glimmers? This is a polyvagal term again. So what triggers me and what brings me glimmers? So we do get obsessed about assessing our triggers and then forgetting about what helps us what moments bring us joy and makes us smile and all this kind of stuff. It's important to know both. What sets me into fight and flight or shutdown? What helps me feel connected, safe, and heart-centered? Can I get to know my boundaries, my limits, and resources to support my nervous system? So these are all things that I try and do on a daily basis as part of my practice. And then ego. So I've been listening to a lot of, to a lot of Eckhart Tolle stuff recently and all that kind of thing. So can I see beyond perception? So beyond the perception of who I am coming from people's expectations, opinions, and narrative about me, can I see past that? Can I see past the role I play in any given moment, be it a dad or the person at work or the podcaster? Seeing past the role I play in any given moment, being the space of stillness outside thoughts and self-judgment. If I had nowhere to be right now and there was no demand of me from life or the world, how would this moment actually be? 
And to be honest, it's going to be nothing, isn't it? It's going to be still. If there's no demand on me and there's nowhere for me to be, I should just be at peace in theory. Not that easy. But that's the five things that I used to remember. So actual words, anatomy, reactive, and ego. That's how I live my life, basically, in sort of a five-step process. I feel like that sounded way more complicated than it was meant to sound. Sounds like a good goal for all of us and for our listeners. Owen, I'm going to end our time together, though it saddens all of us because it was just an amazing (laughs) hour. I think all of us on the show and our listeners can really absorb that aware five, get curious about it, like you said, and see if there are some things that we could change in our lives today to move our bodies away from shutdown and away from fight or flight and into that safe social space. And you articulated that process so well. And we're very thankful for your vulnerability and opening up and sharing your story with the three of us in our entire audience today. And we just really hope that your next big project with awareness spreads very quickly and very far and impacts the world because you are a very special soul to this earth and we love what you're doing. So thank you for being on today. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me on. And, you know, I bond quite quickly with my guests. So I bonded with, with all of you quite quickly. I just want people to know that too. I know it's hard when you don't trust people because your trauma, it's really difficult. But if you can, let's find a few people who see you, understand you, accept you. That changes the game because we are wired that way to feel that. And I know it doesn't seem like that sometimes when you've got mental health problems, but it's huge. And I've got a massive Instagram community that I'm sure if people connect with them, they'll find that too, because they're all amazing humans. All the men I know from the Instagram community are amazing and I can't get enough of their time. They're amazing. And remind us again, what is your Instagram handle for that? Shame. So I've got to remember it. So it's awareness underscore space. But if they just type in awareness space, it'll come up anyway. I'm sure it'll be on there. Yeah. We start in January with my podcasts and I'm sure at some point they're all going to get to hear each of your stories with me too. And I can't wait to have some one-to-one time with you all. Excellent. Thank you, Owen. We appreciate you listening so much. It helps Nikki and Alyssa and I just feel not so alone. And I know that Owen feels the same way now that you have taken the time to hear his story. We hope that you will stick around and listen to episode 10 with us with Sean Galanos of The Love Drive. Thanks, It's the Trauma podcast is not a substitute for therapy or mental health advice. If you or someone you love is in crisis, please call 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. You can also text the word HOME to 741-741 to reach a trained crisis counselor. You're a peach. Thanks, It's the Trauma. 